Good morning. Oh man, everyone's awake. Nice. I like it. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. I hope you guys uh, are having a good morning. Um, I hope you are coffeeed up because I am. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves. Actually, I would, I would invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 19 through 30. We're kind of landing the plane on this chapter. I'll, I'll ramble a little bit about that. Uh, man, so I, I'd imagine some people saw some games yesterday. Apparently football teams won. Good job, football teams. And uh, <laughs> if you are new, uh, if you are new, you've just joined us uh, for the past couple of weeks, man, welcome. So glad to have you here with us. Two things for you. Number one, on your chairs or in the rows, there are these connect cards. We'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to answer your questions. So please fill one out, drop it in the offering basket, or you could take it to the back connect desk. In addition to that, if you don't have a Bible uh, or you know someone who could benefit from having a Bible, we have several of those in the rows that you're sitting in. Please take one. That is our gift to you. Uh, just a simple way of saying thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so you can you can take that in. Uh, so today I'm on I'm on, I'm on diet, Dr. Pepper, but I still had coffee earlier. And so I'm, I'm like really jittery, man. And um and so I might go really fast again. I'm sorry, uh, but not really. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Here, here's kind of what I want to do. I want to read the text, uh, and then I'll jump into a recap, because what I, what I want to do as we're kind of landing the plane in this chapter is I want to summarize a lot of things that the Apostle Paul has walked us through in our time of Philippians. And so I'll read the text. I'll pray, and then we'll just uh, start our time. So it's kind of a lengthy one, uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, here we go. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord." with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll dive in. God, as we dive into your word, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, illuminate and reveal yourself to us, 
that you would speak to us directly from your word for the purpose of conviction, for the purpose of repentance, and for the purpose of us fixing our eyes on Jesus. God, I pray that I would be removed and that it would be uh, your Holy Spirit at work and speaking through me. God, I pray that you would be honored and that you would be glorified in this time, that you would teach us to be more like Jesus, to have the mind of Jesus for the glory of your name. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here we go. All right, this stand is weird. All right. Here we go. So here's one thing that I want to tell you as we dive into this recap, as we kind of come into this recap, that the mind of Christ, if you don't hear anything today, I want you to put this in the, in the forefront of your mind, that the mind of Christ furnishes humility and servanthood. I'll say it one more time, that the mind of Christ furnishes humility and servanthood. As we've walked through Philippians 2, one of the largest and most dense themes in this chapter has been humility. When you read through the letter to the Philippians, Paul repeatedly talks about joy. He is writing to them from a Roman prison and continues to pastor them, encourage them, and exhort them to have joy, to have joy in unity and among one another and despite the circumstances they find themselves in. Joy is an overarching theme of Philippians, of the book of Philippians. And because it is, we can be pretty repetitive when it comes to speaking of joy. Not that that makes it less important, but sometimes it's very, very loud. What I love about chapter 2 is that although Paul talks about joy, the dense theme of chapter 2 is humility. And briefly, I want to take you to verses 3 through 5 in chapter 2, because verses 3 through 5 ultimately define uh, chapter 2. They set the tone for chapter 2. These are verses that Pastor Jeff from Harlingen preached on a couple of weeks ago when he was visiting here in McAllen. And so these are verses that ultimately set the tone, the example, and the direction for chapter 2. Let's, let's go to them briefly. This is verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, beginning verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Those verses are the entire theme. They are the crux for chapter 2. Because following those verses, Paul gives us four uh, giant examples uh, of humility. The first one that Jeff talked about a couple of weeks ago is the example of Jesus. If you go to verse 8... He writes, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. That is, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross, that he set aside his deity, entering into human history, and humbled himself, taking the life of a servant. And so that was the first example. That was the first dense example of humility in chapter 2. The second example of humility in chapter 2 we talked about last week where Paul in verse 17 goes on to tell the Philippian church, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. What Paul was saying in the recap from last week, what Paul was saying is that I understand that my time can come to an end at any moment. And if that is a sacrifice for the sake of more people coming to know Jesus and for the sake of you growing in unity, then it is worth it. It is worth it. And so now we come to verses 19 through 30, where we have another two examples of humility in the men Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to walk through uh, the marks of a servant leader. So today is going to be very, very practical. And if you love lists like I do, we're going to go one thing at a time, parking in a couple of these areas or in a couple of these characteristics as we move forward. But one thing that I will say in light of stepping outside of the practical is that there are some realities that accompany the profile or the marks of a servant leader. The first is that everyone, male and female, are called to serve in the life of the family of God. That if we belong to Jesus, if we belong to Jesus, then we are a family. And in a family, everyone has chores. Everyone has chores in a family. And when we get to chapter 4, we're also going to see that in a family, sometimes there is tension. But we're not there yet. We're in chapter 2, right? In a family, everyone has chores. Whether you like it or not, we got chores and we have to do things. Because the bigger picture isn't just picking chairs up. It is the mission that God has called us to in making disciples. There is a bigger picture even within the scope of being a church family. So everyone has chores. Number two, that we are called to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. That if we are to have the mind of Christ, we must find ourselves in the Word of God so that we would come to understand and love Him. And as we talked about last week, uh, keep ourselves from stunting our growth, from growing in our relationship with Christ. One other thing is that if we belong to Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That God dwells in His people and He transforms us. He gives us a new heart and He renews our thinking. So the marks of a servant leader are going to be the result of having the mind of Christ. That not only is our heart new, but our mind has been renewed. So the way we think and the lenses that we use to see everything around us are the lenses of the gospel. And so we find ourselves looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so we'll just dive in. Let me actually close this. 
And so we'll just dive in. The first thing, when it comes to the marks of a servant leader, the first thing I want you to look at, it's in verse 19, is that a servant leader meets the need. A servant leader meets the need. Actually, I'll keep this open. This is what Paul writes in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered uh, by news of you. Here's what's going on. Timothy is with Paul. And what Paul is going to do is send Timothy to the Philippian church to get a report of how they're doing, the health of the church, the status of the church, see what's going on. He's going to get that report and then he's going to take it back to Paul so that Paul, while in prison can read of the status of the church and have cheerful news of them. Now, that sounds pretty simple when we talk about it or even when we put it on a whiteboard. But the reality is Paul is in a prison in Rome. The church in Philippi is 800 miles away. Timothy is making an 800-mile trip to get a report and then going back another 800 miles just to hook Paul up with the report of the Philippian church. He is making a 1,600-mile round-trip uh, round journey to go and get uh, uh, the report of how the Philippians are doing. A servant leader meets the need. They meet the need because it's not just about convenience or even gifting, but it's about readiness. It's about faithfulness. It's about commitment. Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. Timothy, man, had a bunch of miles on him, and he's ready to do whatever it needs, whatever needs to happen for the sake of the gospel. It reminded me of Acts chapter 6, and we can read that briefly, and I'll give you context in a little bit. It reminded me of Acts chapter 6. This is verses 1 through 3. And so Luke writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, uh, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Here's what's going on. The church is growing, and so are the needs. The apostles who are preaching the word cannot keep up with the needs of the church, and so they appoint seven other men to meet those needs. Now, out of those seven men, the qualifications were that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, had a good reputation. <laughs> I forgot the, the other one. Full of the Spirit, had a good reputation, and had wisdom. The seven men whom they chose came from various backgrounds. Some were uber-educated. Some were leaders in their own right. And the need that they were called to was serving sandwiches and waiting on tables. Like Timothy, he meets the need because it's exactly that a need. He is not necessarily worried about his gifting. He is not worried about how convenient or inconvenient the task may be. He knows that there is a need and therefore he goes and makes the journey. He makes the 1600 mile journey because there is a need. 
And oftentimes in the church, since we're all family, we're having a family meeting here, even though I'm the only one talking. When, when it comes to this, oftentimes in the church, whether it's storehouse or we can look at the global church, when it comes to the church, we're going to base the need on our convenience. We're going to base the need on our convenience and just how much it's going to cost us. Not that that practical reality doesn't serve some help. It does, because you need to take into account a few things. But at the same time, if we're honest, too many times we use the excuse of thinking through it because it's an inconvenience to us. Too many times, the truth is, we're just being inconvenienced. Regardless of the need, it's just, ah. hey, I'll pray about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, uh, let me just take this uh, this week, and I'll, you know, I'll pray whether or not our kids need to be discipled. You know, that's the bottom line. That there are needs in the family, and some, and that might be you. Some you don't want to meet the need because it's an inconvenience. Or because it's not your gifting. I don't know if God has called me to that. Right? I don't know if God's called me to that. I don't know if he has gifted me in that. I don't think Timothy in this 800 mile journey, I don't think he's wondering, has God really called me to walk 800 miles? Homeboy's just making the trip. So the first thing of the mark of a servant leader is that they meet the need. And it is not about convenience or gifting, but readiness, faithfulness, and commitment. Number two, uh, a servant leader is faithful and available. Let's go to verse 20. Paul writes, For I have no one like him. And we'll pause right there. It says, For I have no one like him. If you look at the life of Paul, this dude ministered to so many people, planted so many different churches, had people labor alongside of him, and at the same time had people fall away. Maybe because it was an inconvenience to plant a church. Maybe because it was difficult to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. But at some point, people fell away. At some point, people turned away. At some point, people betrayed Paul. And what he is saying in light of all of those people, he's saying, man, Timothy is so faithful. I don't have anyone else like him. This dude is faithful. This dude is committed. He is humble. He is loyal. He is distinct. Because times did get tough and Timothy stuck around. Because times did get hard and he didn't turn around. Because times were really inconvenient for us. And yet he stayed and labored along my side. I have no one else like Timothy. Could we say the same about ourselves? Could we say the same about ourselves? So number two is that they are faithful and available. In spite of the circumstance, in spite of the season, they are available. Number three is that they are selfless. The mark of a servant leader is that they are selfless. So continuing in verse 20, Paul says, For I have no one like him, he's talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy's concern isn't even that of his own. It is for the church in Philippi. 
He wants to make sure that they're healthy, that they have what they need, that if this report is that important, he will make this journey because his concern isn't about him, it's about them. And later on in chapter 4, we will learn that tension that is beginning to rise in the church isn't just coming from within the church, it is also coming from outside the church walls. That they are on the verge of persecution. And Timothy knows this, and what he's saying, or what Paul is saying about Timothy, is that Timothy's main concern isn't his safety, and it isn't his welfare, it's yours. Timothy is selfless. And he goes on in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So that tells us a couple of things. That tells us that Timothy's interest, his goal, uh, what he has in mind, the thing that's in the front of his mind is the gospel of Jesus. That's what he is banking on. And they that he is talking about in verse 21, if we go back to chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here, he's talking about prison, put here for the defense of the gospel. Number 17, or verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. In verse 21, when Paul writes, he says they all seek their own interests. He's talking about those same people from chapter 1 who are preaching Christ just to upset Paul. Not because they want to see disciples being made. Not because they want people to come to know Jesus. Not because their ultimate goal and aim is the glory of God, but just to upset Paul because he's in prison. He is saying Timothy is nothing like them. His concern is for Jesus and for you, not his own. He is a selfless leader. He is a selfless leader. Number four, this is diving into uh, verses 22 to 23. He says, but you know, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. The words proven worth in the original language is just one word, tested. That's what it means. Paul is saying about Timothy, he's saying to the Philippian church, you know that he's been tested. Now that's what I, here's what I love about this. There's a couple of things. When Paul is saying, you, you know that he is tested, he is saying, man, this dude isn't fresh out of seminary and hasn't had any single uh, experience in the local church. He has been with me in the trenches. When times got really hard, he was there. When it was really discouraging, he was there and experienced some of those same things. Some of the scars that I have, Timothy has those as well. The realities of ministry and sometimes the hardship that comes with ministry, the difficulty that comes with ministry, the discouragement that comes with ministry, he has all of those things. And at the same time, the beautiful things about ministry, seeing people come to know the Lord, seeing people worshiping Jesus, seeing disciples made and the church growing, he has been there. He may be young, but he has been there. He is tested and he is proven worth. And that tells us a little bit about Timothy and I think it tells us a little bit about our church. 
Because if you look at Titus, I think one of the things that, that when we walked through it a couple of weeks ago, one of the things Titus says about young leaders is that he says, maybe it's not Titus, I could be wrong, but he says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Instead, be an example, right? I can't remember. Maybe it's Titus. Maybe it's Timothy. Whatever. Hey, you're right, Izzy. Uh, whatever Izzy said. So, 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 but Paul said it, right? So Paul says, right, don't let anybody look down on your youth. Instead, be an example. Paul, this older man, is telling the Philippian church, he may be young, but he's a really good example of what it's like to be tested, tried, faithful, meeting the need, and selfless. That's why I'm sending him to you. And the encouragement that this brings concerning our church is that when I look at our staff and even our volunteer leadership, we're really young. And I I throw myself in there right? We are really young. (laughs) We're really young in our leadership, but here's more than that. I am so incredibly proud of of our staff and of our volunteer leadership. Not just because they they put, yeah, yes, clap guys, yeah. And And it's not just because, it's not just because Let's use Sunday as an example. It's not just because they're here on Sunday. Uh, Some of the guys wake up as early as 6 a.m. Some of them get here around 7. Things start going down, 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever that looks like. Um, It's not just because they're here really early on a Sunday putting in hours. What, What makes me so proud to serve alongside of them is that I can come alongside of them and like Paul to Timothy say that they have proven worth, that they have seen some of the ups and downs of ministry and get paid coffee. That they have seen some of the discouragements that happen in ministry. That they have had to walk through healing themselves when it's come through ministry. The disappointments, but also the glorious moments where we've gotten to baptize people. They have gotten to experience all of those things. And that's why they're proven worth. That's why, man, we would recommend, that's why they are leaders. That's why they serve in such a capacity. All for a cup of coffee. And really, it's not the cup of coffee because some of them don't even drink coffee. It's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God so that people would come to know Jesus. That's why they do it. That is why they do it. And like Timothy, we have some really awesome volunteers and volunteer leadership who not just puts in those hours, but are tested. They have proven worth because of that. And some of them are really young. And some of you have some experience and look down on them because they're really young and they try something new and they try something different. But what I love about those young bucks is that they don't complain. The mark of a servant leader, what we're seeing in Timothy, whether he's young or not, if we look at it, we, we haven't touched on a single skill we haven't looked at a single skill that he just needs to develop, some gifting that he needs to develop. The gifting he needed to develop was walk 1,600 miles. That's it. And oftentimes in the church, what irritates me is that I hear people say that they want to jump in and meet certain needs, but not because they are standing on a foundation of humility, but attention. That they want the attention because perhaps of their gifting perhaps of the amount of time they've served in 
other churches or whatever the background is. And so they don't stand on a foundation of humility. They don't stand on a foundation of humility that is grounded in the parallel story of, of what Paul says about Jesus, that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he took the form or the life of a servant. And I think sometimes too many people bank on, look at my gifts, look at what I can do, look at the attention I could bring to the church. And then there are other people who are serving for the glory of God. And so if that's you, if that's you, repent. Because what that's, what that's going to do, what's, what the reason that makes you stiffing your neck is because your heart's already hardened. Your heart's already hardened. And so repent. Repent of that. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that we all would adopt the posture of a servant. So that we would adopt the posture of a servant and see what it looks like to humbly serve. That's what it looks like. Moving on. We're going to transition into Epaphroditus. But Paul continues. This is verse 23. He says, I hope therefore to send him uh, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. When Paul writes, I see how it will go with me. uh, Again, he's writing from a Roman prison. And as he's writing from a Roman prison, he's awaiting trial. And so that's why he says, we'll see how it goes. I haven't, I haven't gotten my sentence. I don't know what's going to happen. I may die. I may not die. We'll see what happens. And so he continues in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, that word necessary, you can circle it because unlike Timothy, he's really hoping he can send Timothy. But when it comes to Epaphroditus, it's an urgent sending. He has to send Epaphroditus. We're going to learn why in just a moment. But that word necessary is, is coming with urgency. It's not just coming with, I hope he gets to you, like kind of wishful thinking. But he is saying, I need to send him to you. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier and your messenger and minister in need. Here's the fifth mark of a servant leader. The fifth one is that they are all in. And some of these might like overlap and that's okay. But the fifth thing is that they are all in. Notice how he begins to talk about Epaphroditus. He gives him five titles. You see that Paul has this personal relationship with Timothy. He calls him a son, but then when he transitions into Epaphroditus, he he really respects this man and has high regard, and he gives him five titles. He says he is his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, the Philippians' messenger, and his minister. Gives him five titles, right? And so let's walk through each one of those because one, they're important. Two, the order is significant because Paul calls him first a brother. If, uh, if he's not a brother, then he can't be these other things to him. And so he begins by saying uh, that Epaphroditus is his brother. That what he is saying is that he is a brother in Christ, that they are a part of the same family. And in addition to being a part of the same family, they have the same mind, right? Going back to verse five at the beginning of this chapter, that they have the mind of Christ, that as brothers, they are linked up. They have the same mind, the same goal, but also are a part of the same family, which means that they have really a, a deep connected relationship, right? that they have a a really uh, deep-rooted relationship as brothers. 
And then he goes on to say that he is a co-worker. So not only do they share the same mind of Christ, but they're co-workers, which means that they desire the same thing, that they desire to see people come to know Jesus, that they have labored alongside of one another in planting churches and making sure letters get sent out in all these different kinds of journeys. Uh, When it comes to being a co-worker, they desire the same thing. So thus far, they are on the same page. Number three, he says that he is a soldier. And what I want you to notice about the language Paul uses, he never uses the word or. He says and. Like he is all of these things. Then he goes on to say that he is a soldier. That like Timothy, he's been with him in the trenches of ministry. That he has seen discouragement, but at the same time he has also seen glory. Uh, That he has experienced the same things. That they have had to stand firm together at times where maybe they were the only two standing. That he is a soldier with him. <clears throat> Number four, he calls him the Philippians' messenger. That means that Epaphroditus is faithful to his church, that he serves his church. If you go to Philippians 4, uh, Paul gives the reason uh, as to why Epaphroditus is with him. This is Philippians 4, verse 18. And he says, Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The church in Philippi was one of the only churches that financially supported Paul. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to go to Paul to hook him up with a financial gift to make sure that he had everything he needed. That means he was trusted by the church to go and make sure this happened. That means Epaphroditus was involved in the church. That means that if they trust him enough, that shows you his care for the church. And we're going to explore that in just a minute. The fifth thing is that he was a minister to Paul. Right? That when Epaphroditus showed up to Paul, that he ministered to his needs. Man, that he encouraged Paul. And we know about Paul. He's constantly talking about joy. He's constantly talking about, man, in spite of these circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. And it also shows that even in those times, he needs encouragement. And so Epaphroditus was a minister to his need. That you might have a ton of scripture memorized. That you might have a ton of knowledge about the Bible. And even you too need to be encouraged by brothers and sisters. You need to be encouraged by brothers and sisters. And we do that in community. Number six, Epaphroditus gives it everything. Like he goes more than all in. He gives it all. So let's go to the end of verse 26. He goes on to say, For he, that's Epaphroditus, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus is with Paul and he longs to see the Philippian church. He longs to see the Philippians because he loves them and because he got word that they got word that he was sick. And so now he's worried about them because they're worried about him. Does that make sense? 
right? He is worried about them because they are worried about him. And so when Paul writes that uh, he longs for them and that has been distressed because you heard that he was ill, that word distressed is the same word used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was experiencing all that pressure and anxiety and was sweating drops of blood before he was arrested. Epaphroditus was not sweating drops of blood, but it shows you the intensity of his anxiety and how he longed to be with the Philippian church. Because he was concerned for them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to let them know that he's okay. He wanted to make sure that they were okay and that they weren't worrying so much more about him. And so Paul says that he was distressed because you heard he was ill. And he stresses how ill he was. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That Epaphrodites not only was all in, but gave it his all. And as he is serving the needs of the church and serving Paul, he goes, homeboy goes so hard that he gets so sick and almost dies. And what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a parallel of of Epaphroditus' obedience and Jesus' obedience. That Jesus was so obedient to all the way to death, even death on a cross, that Epaphroditus was so obedient to the mission that he almost died. That's how much he went all in. And so, man, in light of the marks of a servant leader, we're to use wisdom and and discernment. But when there's a green light, you need to go. You need to go. Again, many times, not always, many times, people in the church, this is more like culture Christianity, I guess, many people will say, hey, I'll pray about it, which is a fancy way of saying no. Maybe because it isn't the right fit, or maybe it's not. I'm not asking you about that. When there's a green light to serve, when there's a green light to go, when there's a green light because there's a need, go. Go. Several times uh, over the past couple of years, we've had, uh, or I've had uh, a couple of young guys come up to me and say, hey, uh, man, I love the Bible, I love God's Word. I'm experienced in Bible study. So do you guys have any needs to start, you know, new Bible studies? And I remember saying, no, we don't, but we have needs to pick up chairs. I've yet to see those guys ever come back. Right? Even as we've been here at the incubator, people have come and said, hey, I am really good at this. And that might be true, and we might have a need for that, but then sometimes we don't have a need for that, but we have a need to put flags outside and triangle, what what are they called? Whatever the sign is that we put out there. And uh, yeah, I've never seen them, right? Man, I want to teach Bible study. I want to, man, just help people grow in God's word, especially young dudes. Man, I just want people to grow in God's word. I want to disciple people. Man, that's awesome because we have 40-some people that need to be discipled on the second floor. Uh, They're between the ages of like 6 and 10, and we don't hear anything from them. You wanted the green light. I gave you the green light. But because it's inconvenient to you, you bounce. Because it gets hard, you bounce. Because it's not aligned with your gifting, you bounce. 
the marks of a servant leader, again, we're not talking about skills. We're not talking about skills. We're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit so that needs are met in the family. Because the big picture is the glory of God and people coming to know him. Moving forward. Paul gives God all of the glory for his mercy by sparing Epaphroditus' life and Paul's sorrow for almost losing his friend. It's a great example of ongoing joy in spite of difficult circumstances. Paul, the guy who's constantly talking about having joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, we see that he is almost, that he faced some difficult circumstances, that he was watching his friend die. And then God spared his friend and he gives the glory to God. The seventh thing, the seventh mark of a servant leader is that they are an example. Let's go to verse 29. I think I might be skipping ahead a little bit, but let me, let me double check. So verse 27, he was ill and God had mercy on him. Uh, verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I might be less anxious. So he's saying, man, I have to send him to you because I'm growing anxious. He almost died. You need to see Epaphroditus. So there's an urgency that he is sending him with. And then verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him. He's telling the Philippian church, receive Epaphroditus and then honor him. And the reason he's telling them to honor him is because Epaphroditus is an example. He is an example because as a servant of Christ, Epaphroditus has had the self-sacrifice, the self-sacrificing attitude of Christ. I'll say that one more time. Epaphroditus is an example because as a servant of Christ, he has had the self-sacrificing attitude of Christ. That he longed to see the Philippians because he was worried about them because they were worried about him. And so he wanted to be with them. And Paul saw it necessary to, to send him to the Philippians. And then upon sending him, he's reminding the Philippians, when you see him, rejoice and honor him. Don't give him a hard time because his trip got cut short. In fact, Honor him because he wants to be with you, because he loves you, because he is for you, and he wants good for you. He is pointing to Epaphroditus as an example. Honor him because he is an example. He is an example of Christ, and that's why you honor him. So have the same mind that Epaphroditus has. That would be what he would communicate to us. To have the same mind, the mind of Christ, so that you would be an example. The lengths that Epaphroditus goes isn't because of the attention he wants, but it's for the good of the church. And finally, number eight, verse 30, he goes on to say, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That Epaphroditus was humble. That he was humble. That he considered others more important than himself. That sacrificial servanthood for the good of the people and the sake of the gospel is an extension of the mind of Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. 
about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's C.S. Lewis. Everything that we've just walked through, again, is not based on skill or gifting, but it is based on service and humility. That's everything that we've just walked through. The mind of Christ furnishes humility and servanthood for the sake of the gospel, for the good of the church, and for the glory of God to be made known. And if you have to think about whether or not you have the mind of Christ, then you may not know Jesus. Say it one more time. If you have to think about whether or not you have the mind of Christ, then chances are you may not know Jesus. The marks of a servant or a servant leader are a result of the mind of Christ, which comes as a result of belonging to Christ first. If you don't have the mind of Christ, humility and servanthood will always fall short. The mind of Christ is to be received not by merit, not eloquent thinking or reasoning, but by repentance and faith in Jesus and Him alone. Jesus' death on the cross is an effective invitation for you for salvation to turn away from your sin and to fix your eyes on Jesus and so that God would grant you the mind of Christ upon Him rescuing you. Not only do you get a new heart, but your mind is renewed. So if you belong to Jesus, but you're a consumer, repent. Repent. Turn away from that sin and fix your eyes on Jesus. Practically, sure. Ask how you can get involved. If you see a need, meet the need. But if you're here to consume, I'm telling you to repent. And if you don't know Jesus, repent of your sin so that you would come to know Jesus so that you would have the mind of Christ, so that your mind would be renewed, so that you would be given a new heart, so that His Spirit would dwell in you. The mind of Christ furnishes all humility and servanthood. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, uh, man, and, and we walk through, you know, characteristics of, of a servant leader, uh, many times I think we can quickly overlook them, Lord. I think many times we can quickly overlook them because 
Uh, I think we bank more on our gifting. We bank more on our capabilities and our ability uh, to do certain things rather than being led by your Holy Spirit to simply meet the needs of our family. All of us, including myself, uh, have excuses, whether they would be excuses of inconvenience or they would just be excuses to separate ourselves from our family. God, would you forgive us of that? Would you forgive us of that and bring us to a place where we remember the grace that you have given us that we have not earned and that that grace would lead us to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we would repent and look at Jesus as our ultimate example, as Savior and as an example of what it looks like to humble ourselves, to take on servanthood for the good of our family, for the sake of the gospel, and for more people to come to know you. God, work in our hearts. Tear down any kind of hardening or bitterness, any kind of distance or darkening. Work in our hearts, not so that we would think and, and, and reason with what we're really feeling or what's going on, but uh, uh, illuminate our hearts with convictions so that we would turn to Jesus. So that we, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, would be marked with these characteristics of servanthood and humility. And so, God, we thank you for this time. I pray that, man, your, your word and your spirit would work effectively in my brothers and sisters. And as we transition into a time of tithes and offering, um, Lord, this is a time where we continue to worship you by giving you our stuff. That this isn't uh, simply a transition or where things start to go differently and something else ends. This is where we continue to worship you. That although there are different parts to a Sunday morning, all of them are glued together by your glory and worship, our worship of that glory. And so when it comes to uh, tithes and offerings, may we worship you by giving you our stuff, by relinquishing the control we think we have over our stuff. May we be like Epaphroditus, like Timothy, sacrificial. May we be like Jesus who demonstrates the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate form of generosity. May we be faithful. May this serve as, uh, man, um, uh, a first step or, 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 or a walking into servanthood. And maybe we be good stewards of all that you've given us. For the glory of your name and for the expansion of your kingdom, not our own. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.